I think Islam hates us. They have done nothing except wreak havoc and terror for our faith and our religion. We, when we stand up to those who oppress our communities, that Allah accepts from us that as a form of jihad. Foundations of society are fragile. We must be the shepherds of our own civilization. If anyone answers either yes or no without making necessary distinctions, both are not telling the truth. They're lying. Father, we pray that your word will become a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. That you will raise up in this nation pulpits and prophets that will call the nation back to repentance. Will you distance yourself from those who think differently or will you join us at the table and talk about what is really important? This is the Maida Initiative. Conversation without compromise. Well, Jawad, thank you for coming back on the show. It's good to see you again, James. Thanks for reaching out again. Good to see you. How has your apocalypse been? Well, you know, we are definitely working towards the new norm right now. Uh, COVID-19 uh, is definitely taking a toll on many people. Uh, luckily, uh, we have been safe so far. Nobody in our congregation has been affected. Uh, we're taking appropriate measures, safe distancing, masking, all those common sense stuff. And we hope that... Uh, this passes and we come across we come out stronger and better and so how does that change celebrating eid because we're at eid right now very interesting question right uh, you know there are two big eids in the islamic tradition in addition to other celebrations one was after ramadan and one is tomorrow the day of uh, uh, sacrifice uh, the eid of sacrifice uh, we have decided, because of the breakouts everywhere, we've decided to actually, in abundance of caution, not to have the service in person at the Iman Center. Uh, we will be doing a virtual service. Uh, so you cannot congregate, but we can congregate virtually. And that's what we're going to do. So give me... Give and then, and then after, after congregation, tomorrow what we have arranged is meet and greet. So I invite you to come in and meet and greet us uh, uh, around uh, 2 p.m. So we'll actually have a little... Uh, food packet available for people, some goodies, and people haven't seen each other for five months. So they can come and say hi and then drive away. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, so 2 p.m. tomorrow. Yeah. So um, for, from your perspective, tell me the story of the, the Eid. Was, so Eid al-Fitr is the Ramadan one, right? And then we're in Eid al-Adha now? Correct. So tell me the story of Eid al-Adha from a Muslim perspective. Well, Eid al-Adha is to commemorate, uh, you know, the uh, sacrifice of Abraham or Ibrahim, alayhi salam, peace be upon him. Um, so Prophet Ibrahim uh, is the monotheistic prophet uh, accepted by Judeo-Christian as well as Islamic faith. Um, he is the, uh, you know, father of monotheism as we know it today. He believed in one God. Um, he was born in Mesopotamia. Um, and uh, he lived there, and he lived in an environment which was full of idolatry. People used to carve statues, wood carvings, and so forth. People used to worship that. And he, when he grew up as a youth, he realized that you know these are really false deities that people are worshiping. They say, hey, can I worship the sun? Can I worship the moon? They say, oh, those things go away. They, they cannot be something I worship. And then he announces uh, his devotion to Almighty God and, and the worship of one God. Uh, you know, he moves on from uh, Mesopotamia to, you know, Palestine, Syria, and so forth, Babylon, and eventually ends up uh, in Mecca. Now, you know, Abraham, 
or Ibrahim alayhi salam, when I say alayhi salam, is peace be upon him. We know whenever we refer to a prophet, we must say peace be upon them. It's out of respect. Uh, when uh, he, he had married Sarah, who, Sarah was his first wife, uh, but uh, Sarah did not really bear him any children um, uh, until, and he grew older. Uh, and then he actually later on in his life uh, uh, marries another person, Hagar, Hajra, alayhi salam. Uh, and uh, and he was blessed with a son, uh, Ishmael, with Hajra Hagar, and Sarah also t- ends up having another son called Ishaq Isaac. Um, anyway, uh, so God had revealed to Ibrahim Salam that he would be blessed with a son, but he would have to sacrifice uh, at some point. That's at least some of the traditions they say. Or Islamically, it says there's there's no there's no reference in the Quran that says he has to sacrifice Ibrahim, but he says that he saw a dream, and in his dream he saw him sacrificing his son, um, which is a little bit different, and we might talk about it later on. Um, but anyway, uh, Ibrahim and uh, Ismail and Hagar go and inhabit in this place called Mecca, which is the modern day Mecca in in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, it was a barren land; there was nobody there. And this is a remarkable story, you know, the, the uh, center of Islamic focus every day, every moment of the day, somewhere in the world, every Muslim, Muslim prostrates to Mecca, was founded by a black woman, Hagar, right, and a son. And Ibrahim, uh, you know, is there with Ismail, uh, and, and uh, you know, when they, he leaves them there, you know, um, you know, Hagar has to run and find water for uh, so for sustenance and so forth. And there's a well of Zamzam gushes out, which is runs until this day. Um, so that's really the, the, the scene where, where the Hajj or this, uh, you know, is played out, which is what millions of people go to Mecca this year. Unfortunately, not millions, but tens of thousands, I think. Um, so Hagar, you know, settles there. Uh, people, you know, nomadic tribes moving there, they find out that, that uh, uh, you know, there was water there, so they come and inhabit, and this led to the formation of Mecca. Now, when, when uh, Ismail grows up to becomes a youth, Abraham returns to Mecca, uh, and uh, he actually, as I mentioned earlier, that he has had a dream, but in the dream is, he, he sees sacrificing Ismail, which is very hard, him having had a son after many, many years, and something who, who, somebody who he loved a lot, and he's asked to... So he interprets the dream, Never, not in the Quran, he says sacrifice. He drops that dream as a commandment from God. So, you know, he asks his son, you know, that this son, I've seen this uh, in the dream. What do you say I should do? And, uh, you know, Ismail says, you know, do as you're commanded and you, you will find me among the most patient and persevering ones. So, Ibrahim, alayhi salam, Ismail, actually, um, go out there to perform their sacrifice, you know, and God replaces Ishmael with a ram, right? So this was a big test for uh, Ibrahim. And the reference in the Quran where the verse says, we call to him, O Ibrahim, you have fulfilled the vision. Indeed, we thus reward the doers of good. Indeed, this was a clear trial and we ransomed him with a great sacrifice, right? So this is the story of the sacrifice uh, according to the Muslimic uh, tradition, right? So the Eid of sacrifice is one aspect of it is just this, but actually the Eid of sacrifice is the climatic uh, point after the Hajj, the annual pilgrimage. So when Ibrahim and Ismail, after having settled in Mecca, they build the mosque, which is the cube, the Kaaba, 
they actually created this uh, the ritual of Hajj, where Muslims go to Mecca once in their lifetime, if they can afford it, if they're strong enough, to perform the annual pilgrimage. Right? And the pilgrimage, there's a minor pilgrimage and a major pilgrimage. And I can go into more details if you want, if we have time. Uh, the minor pilgrimage we can do any time is that uh, you go to Mecca, before you enter the city of Mecca, you become an ordinary person, so you cannot distinguish whether you're a pauper or prince, rich or poor, male or female, child or old, young men, all, all same, all dressed in white, they walk, walk into Mecca, they will circumambulate around the Kaaba in an anti-clockwise direction seven times. And they will actually, after having completed that, they will offer a prayer, and then they will run from the two hills, uh, Safa and Marwa, to reenact the struggle that ha Hagar did when she was looking for water. And they will actually end the minor pilgrimage. Uh, this can be done any time in the year when the authorities allow it. The major pilgrimage happens on, uh, at this time of the year, in the in the 12th month of the Islamic calendar, whereby Muslims will leave Mecca, those who are in Mecca will leave Mecca, they will go to the plains of Arafat uh, on the, today's day and be engaged in atonement, right, and repent for their sins. And after, from from noon to sunset, at sunset then they'll move to a place called Muzdalifa, uh, where they will pick up some pebbles, uh, and, and then the following day, which is the, like tomorrow, early in the morning, they will use those pebbles to actually throw stones at uh, three monuments, which represent the shaitan, who tried to uh, misguide Abraham so he should not sacrifice. Uh, so the, and, and the idea is that when you, when you do that uh, reflection on Arafat, you repent for your sins, you try to uh, uh, change, you, you make a commitment to yourself that you would become a different, better person as you go. And then you, when you pick up the pebbles, you actually say, okay, you're going to strike those evil qualities in you. And you go strike them in the, in the, on the next day that you will say, okay, you will resist any temptation that will come in to, to dissuade you from issue. So this is really what the inaction of the major pilgrimage is. Then they will actually, pilgrims will go and stay in Mina. So Arafat, Mustafa, Mina. They'll stay in Mina for a couple of days in a brotherhood and fellowship. And they'll complete the pilgrimage returning to Mecca, doing the circumambulation and all the things we talked about earlier. So this is the, the great pilgrimage, which people do once in their lifetime. So the Eid al-Adha, right, uh, after, after, the, after the stoning of, after the two days, after the stoning of the, of the shaitan, the pillar there, uh, Muslims will also sacrifice a lamb or an animal, a cow, whatever it is. And, and the sacrifice is, is broken into three parts. One part is for yourself and your family. The other part is for... Uh, uh, your neighbors and, and friends, uh, bigger circle, and the third part is for the poor, right? So it is really a way to celebrate and, and to also remember the sacrifice that Ibrahim tried to do for his son, right? At least that's what I understand. By, by the way, I'm not really by any means the authority on this. I just know and my understanding could be imperfect. So I apologize to anybody who might view me to be imperfect. I'm an I'm a imperfect human being in the process of learning more. For the sake of post-production, we'll edit that to say, I am the authority on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, don't do that, please. <laughs> this always goes out unedited. That's the promise. Um, so, um, think, obviously, this is like a huge thing on the Islamic calendar. Yeah. So, so what? why is, from your point of view, why is the Abraham almost sacrificing Ishmael so significant for Muslims? You know, I think that uh, to me, okay, again, I'm not going to speak for everybody, 
right? You can edit it if you want, but yeah. I'm not going to speak for everybody. You are speaking for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say, how do I understand uh, this this thing, right? I think that, um, you know, Abraham wanted to build a good, righteous community, you know, instead of worshiping false idols. Now, you know, we may think of idols as statues or wooden carvings or whatever, but really idols can take many forms. It could be our ego, it could be power, wealth, money, whatever it is, right? So we build these idols and we love those things more than we love our creator, almighty God, right? So so the, the thing is, Ibrahim was the righteous person and he was the first Muslim. He submitted to the will of God, right? Um, and, and he built a community. He wanted to build an upstanding community and he wanted his offspring to also be leaders of the nation as they turned out to be. Um, so, but, but that building process, the building of a community doesn't come without sacrifice. Sacrifice your time, your money, your energies to build something better that would serve humanity, right? So, so to me, this either sacrifice is a re- refreshment of that devotion, that commitment, that resolve for us to give what we love the most right, to our community, to our loved ones. So as you can see, for example, when you sacrifice the animal, right, there are three parts. One for yourself, one for your friends and families, extended family, and one for the poor people. So we, we think about everybody, not just for yourself, right? And it doesn't come without giving something that you love. We love our possessions, but when we, we share our possessions, not only for ourselves, but with everybody. So this sacrifice is that significant. It's a, it's a process of building a community, and building a community comes in through giving what you love the most and sharing with other people. So I, I'm, I'm curious then. The, so the, te- the test from the Islamic perspective is he has this vision of what he's supposed to do. Satan tries to distract him from fulfilling that vision. So it is like something he is supposed to think he's supposed to do at least. And then at the end, it stops and it's replaced with a ram, a, a, sheep. a, a ram. Yeah. Why, why in the Islamic tradition is there a replacement? Why doesn't God just say, hey, go home? That's a very good question. You see, because uh, Islamic tradition is a little bit different because remember I said it's a dream, uh, not a commandment from God. Ibrahim interprets it as a commandment, right? Now, in the, you see, if you think about uh, life, life is sacred in all faith traditions. And even, in fact, even if you're a non-believer, life is sacred. We, 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 we treasure life. Uh, so it would be inconsistent for Ibrahim salam to sacrifice Ismail for no cause. Right? You're being consistent. So he is never commanded by the Quran. But, yeah, but, but it was a test for him. And in the test... It's just that, you know, he was so devoid, he understood that. He could, he, said he could be wrong, but God guides him and saves him. And God says, okay, I really, he was a truly a person who submitted and believed in me. Right? But God saves us. So if we are truly devoted to Almighty God, even if you're wrong, if our intention is very clear, God will guide us and help us succeed. Right? And he, he will test our intention. He will, he sees our intention. Uh, and, and this was a big test for Ibrahim which he succeeded with flying colors, not him, but also his son. Because when he asked his son, what should I do, son? He said, do as you commanded, and you will find me among the patient, persevering ones. So both Ibrahim and Ismail passed the test, and God gives them a great honor. I mean, they built a monument that today there isn't really a moment, a second in the day, where somebody somewhere in the world doesn't prostrate towards that thing as they submit to God Almighty.
So, so the idea is then the place where that happened was what would become the site of the Kaaba or is that when or when they're returning from it? No, no, the Kaaba is just that they built a house of worship. That's got nothing to do with the sacrifice. Yeah. The sacrifice didn't happen there. The sacrifice actually probably was going to happen some other place. Uh, the three places where there was go, supposed to be shaitan tried to deviate, at least according to some commentaries of what I understand. And like I said, my understanding is not like I'm not an authority in these things. First is that, you know, shaitan comes to him, hey, you know, you have, this is a dream that, you know, doesn't make sense. You know, you can't do this. The second was, you know, where he tells Ismail, shaitan tells Ismail that, hey, your father is going to sacrifice you. Well, you know, he should do as he is commanded. And then shaitan also tells his wife, Hagar, that, hey, your son is going to get sacrificed. And he said, well, he, you know, Ibrahim is a righteous man. He will not do anything and he, he should do as he's commanded. So there were three three different kind of times where Shaitan tried to uh, intervene in I- I- Ibrahim's resolve when Ibrahim comes through uh, things. But it was another location. It was not really in Mecca. Mecca that uh, Later on in life, Ibrahim and Ismail built the Beitullah. Beitullah means house of God. So um, when you were talking, when you're talking about Eid you, and Ramadan, you mentioned two words. I'm really curious to kind of hear you define, right? You use the word atonement and sacrifice. What, what do you mean when you say atonement and sacrifice? Excellent. Eid. What does Eid mean? Eid is return to Almighty God. You know, because in the month of Ramadan, you know, remember, we go through 30 days of fasting. And and uh, you know uh, reflection and reformation and and uh, resolve to become a better person, so we become clean after that, you know, because you know God forgives us, right? So and we we become better people. We are more, th- more uh, thankful to God, appreciative though we are, we are also uh, uh, atoned, and we also are more thoughtful of the community because even in Eid al Fitr, you know, we don't celebrate Eid until you have actually shared something with the people, less fortunate people in your members in the society. So Eid is that we have returned to our true nature. Our true nature is to be uh, to be in awe of God, worship God, and to do good things for society at large, to our pure state. So the day, any day in which you do not make an error, uh, commit sin, is a day of Eid. It doesn't have to be Eid al-Fitr or Eid al-Adha. It could be any day in which you don't really make a mistake or you don't really harm somebody or you're a good person is the day of aid. Uh, and, you know, in all of these things, you know, uh, the, the spirit of giving to others is very important. And you give it not because you want any worldly favors or anything like that. You give the best of what you've got, right? And that's sacrifice. And that's how we build a better society. So when you when you say sacrifice, right? You're not talking you, you're not talking about so much sacrificing directly to God in the way that the sort of Jewish tradition would have it. You're talking about you're doing an action that costs you for the benefit of others, and that's your worship to God. Exactly that that you give up something that you love, right, to seek closeness to God. Right? And, and you give up something you love to who? You give it to your fellow mankind. When Prophet Muhammad was asked, what is Islam? His answer was beautiful. Worship God, serve mankind. So here, real, real quick here, maybe not real quick, we'll see. Um, but using the term atonement, right? So you're talking about making this, uh, using Eid for atonement. So does that does that mean kind of, so in your mind, does the does the average Muslim kind of fluctuate in how 
what his relationship with God is, right? He's doing well one day, not so well the other day, and doing these things kind of puts you back to the level of kind of doing well. Yeah, you know, you see, human beings are forgetful, you know, I mean, um, but our innate nature is good. You know, Allah says in the Quran, He has made us the best of the molds. Right? But at the same time, this next process, we can also debase ourselves to be the lowest of the low. So human beings is forgetful. So there are uh, rituals in the Islamic tradition, right, which help us, remind us of our true nature and to turn to God. Right? So in the month of Ramadan is one time, in the, in the time of the first 10 day of Dhul Hajj, a second opportunity like this. So today's day, the, today is the day of Arafat. So today, you know, millions of people will be in the plains of Arafat, a place outside of Mecca, or around the world, even in the Iman Center here in Kirkland. You know, we will actually, after noon prayer, will be engaged in a day of reflection and atonement, right? To reflect on what has happened last year, for the mistakes, errors we've made. We ask for forgiveness, and we actually renew our resolve, right? To be upstanding human beings, helping all those around us. So, and you know, let me tell you another thing I've heard from scholars who says, you know, when we go to the day of, on the day of Arafat, when we go to the uh, plains of Arafat, the plains of Arafat is where by an open field, right? Really hot, people intense, whatever. That day, you know, from noon until sunset, you see your atonement, God wipes out all your sins. You come out born again, fresh again, right? And anybody who believes that he is not fresh again, that in itself is a sin. Right? So it's a day of uh, rebirth, you know, regeneration. Uh, and when you rebirth and regeneration, you go to Muzdalifah, you pick up those pebbles. So you say, okay, there will be temptations along the way. And whenever I see the temptations from Shaitan, I will use these pebbles to throw jealousy, greed, lust, whatever it is, those temptations that will deviate me from being close to God, I will reject it. So you do those enactment, right, to, to reinforce in your psyche that whenever this happens, I will remember this moment. So when I come back from Hajj, Hajj really begins after I come back. You know, it, that was that's just an exercise ritual we go through. Uh, you know, another thing about Hajj is that, uh, another thing from a personal standpoint. You know, when we talk, I talk about going around the Kaaba, right? Around the Kaaba, we go seven times, and you know, you have to be be attentive, and you're in connection with God. And you know what happens when you have millions of people? This year has gotten good because it's nice, uh, low, low uh, volume Hajj, right? But usually it's like hundreds of thousands of people there. You're being pushed and shoved and all these things going on. And you say, what the heck? I came here from all the way from North America to be pushed and shoved and I don't feel anything here. You know, to me, when I reflected on it, I said, look, this is really what's going on in the real world. You know, people will be nasty to you. They'll be mean to you. They might be very nice people to you. I mean, that's what you see in all the things. This is a reenactment. It's a simulation. It's a short thing. So you cannot change the world. All you can do is how you behave, right? So when, when we leave Hajj, we say, okay, I can only change me, right? And once I realize that, I mean, but I also don't want to be arrogant. So the moment I have the realization, I pray straight to God, say, okay, God, I thank you and praise you and forgive me this opportunity. But then when I finish the, the circumambulation and the prayer, there's also this running around from Safa to Marwa, the two hills where Hagar ran from one hill to another hill to look for water for Ishmael. That is also a reminder that life cannot be helped on my, you know, sitting back. I have to struggle for survival, right? So that's the, all these rituals 
you know, have a, have a meaning, have a deep meaning about what it means in real life. So when I come back, oh, I've been a pilgrim now, I'm an Hajj. No, I mean, my real struggles that starts now. I have to work harder, better moving forward. So um, kind of what I, I want to kind of share with you the uh, Judeo-Christian sort of version of the, the story and, and really the Christian understanding of it. And then we'll kind of talk a little bit about the differences and why we think they're there. But one, I think really where the differences start is in the call of Abraham to start with. I think to a certain extent, everyone's kind of on the same page that God calls Abraham. And in the Bible's text, it says, leave your home and follow me here because I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and all the families and tribes of the earth will be blessed through you which I think is beautiful because right in the beginning, the goal of God choosing somebody is never just about themselves, right? It's always about blessing the world as a whole, not just the individual. But then, so Abraham has this promise to be a great nation, but he and his wife, Sarah, are very old. And Sarah says, okay, here's my slave woman, Hagar, from that we got in Egypt, uh, marry her and have a child with her. So that happens and Ishmael is born. And then and then God himself visits Abraham and sits in a tent with him. And which obviously is not part of the Islamic narrative because you wouldn't believe the ability of God, not the ability, but you don't believe God shows up physically places. And Sarah, who is 99 years old at this point, I mean, not 90 she's very old she's way past the age of having children and god tells abraham i'm gonna return a year from now and when i come back your wife sarah is gonna have a child and she's listening through the tent next door and she like bursts out laughing when she sees this and god says why did sarah laugh is anything impossible for god and she said i didn't laugh he said, but you did and then a, a year later, they have their son, Isaac. And the name Isaac literally means son of laughter. And, and then and so, so God tells Abraham that the promise of the kind of great nation is going to come through Isaac. And he says, what about Ishmael? And he says, I'll also make him a great nation. And but then, then when Isaac's a little older, that's when God's, God tells him explicitly, go and take your son, your only son, and, and kill him. And I think how we would rationalize that, right, is that human sacrifice is not something the Bible condones. And taking human life is something that's done in exceptional circumstances in the right setting. But that's because life is a gift from God, and we have no right to take it. God has the right to rescind that gift anytime he sees fit. So if he commands somebody to do something like that, then there's not a moral problem with doing it. Now, you, you better make sure that God's telling you to do that. But that's, that's the sort of scenario there. And then at the last moment, as he's about to sink the knife into his son, an angel stops him and says, this is a test. And the same story is true. A ram with its horn caught in a thicket and Abraham kills the lamb in place of his son. And then, then God says to Abraham, because you did not withhold your only son from me, 
I um I will make you a great nation and your your descendants will possess the world functionally. And they walk down from that mountain and they call it the Lord will provide on this mountain. And so I believe in Judaism and Christianity, the tradition is that that hill was Mount Moriah, where the Dome of the Rock now stands and where the the two Jewish temples uh, stood at some point in the past. And for and the, what the Bible says about that is that functionally what Abraham trusted in at that point was God's ability to bring life from the dead. That he realized that God, who gave him his son at an, as an old man, when he should not have been able to have a son, is fully capable of maintaining his promises. So he says, well, he's promised to bless me already. So I'm going to be fine, whatever happens, by trusting God. And like in the Islamic story, he passes the test. I, th I think the big difference in the significance here is what sacrifice itself means, right? Because this sa this almost sacrifice and the sacrifice that comes in place of him is is a long tradition that comes through the Jewish scriptures, right? So I don't. Do you have the story of the Passover in Islam? No. So the Passover is the idea that uh, about 500 years later than this, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt and they, um, the God sends plagues against Pharaoh, which I know is in the Quran. I know the, I know the plagues in general are there. But at the end, after nine plagues, Pharaoh will not let the children of Israel leave, um, leave the land. And so God says, I'm going to give a final plague and I'm going to come through the land and strike down every firstborn son in Egypt. And for the Israelite sons to be spared, you take a lamb without blemish and you, you sacrifice it, you eat it, and you oh, spread yeah. its blood on the doorposts, right? And God will pass over the house. And, and, and then, then later on, once they go out of Egypt, they come to um, Mount Sinai, which is somewhere in either Sinai Peninsula or actually in very likely in modern day Saudi Arabia. And they uh, and God gives commandments and laws for people to live by. And one of these things is a festival called the Day of Atonement and where the high priest will basically get two lambs and a bull and he'll slit the throat of the bull and he'll sprinkle the blood over the nation to as atonement right that was their religious ceremonies and there's a trajectory there that you have one sacrifice for one son which is isaac and then and then it turns into one sacrifice for every household and then it turns into one sacrifice for every nation and what in the jewish scriptures those are symbolizing isn't simply to share with the poor which it, they certainly do that too but it's this idea that we've become covered by sin and we need to be covered by atonement, right? We, and that being covered in blood as the priest sprinkles it on the nation is supposed to represent cleansing, right? Kind of like wudu on a national scale through blood, which technically isn't as clean, but it's there to symbolize something. And so for Christians, we believe that there's a pattern there right? That's household, this one person, one household, one nation. 
And then the final thing is the sacrifice of to make atonement for the whole world, right? Which we believe happens through Jesus because the prediction is there in the Jewish scriptures that there's a servant who will come and he'll suffer and he'll sprinkle many nations like the sacrifices before. And we believe that that's, that's Jesus. And that's where our atonement with, with God comes from. And it's a direct, it's kind of a direct opposite of what happens with Abraham, that God kind of outdoes Abraham, that he's not only willing to sacrifice his son, but actually sacrifices his son and raises him from the dead to be the, the king of the earth. So obviously a lot of differences. Yeah. So let me, let me, let me offer a, a few thoughts. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, from the Judeo-Christian uh, narration, I mean, there's, a, there's a two things that on what you said, I'll comment. One is that, you know, um, we, we see in, uh, controversies, uh, sorry, contradictions uh, that, you know, you cannot really take somebody's life without fault, without cause. So God cannot really command Abraham, Ibrahim, salam, to sacrifice whether it's Ishaq or Ismail for no cause. It cannot, I mean, God cannot, he's a just God. So God cannot, you know, the notion of a just God is a very important concept in Islamic tradition. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, is in terms of uh, the great nation. Yes, Ibrahim built a great nation. We try to be, and he, 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 he is, and we want to be like a nation. We are the nation of Ibrahim and so forth. But when God, uh, when Ibrahim prays to God, uh, uh, prays to God saying, you know, uh, make leaders from among my my. Uh, uh, descendants, you know, God says only those who will be uh, God conscious, you know, and and obedient to God will they flourish. Not anybody. So basically, the success is not unconditional. Uh, success is conditioned on uh, people worshiping and accepting God. Right, and I wouldn't fundamentally disagree on that either. Yeah, so, I just I just want to clarify. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Romans nine says not all who were descended from Abraham are truly Abraham's descendants, but those who have faith. Yes, exactly. So that we, are, we are, so so those are the two things. And now, in, in terms of atonement, right, I mean, I think that, uh, uh, like I said, today the day of Arafat, when uh, I think this year will be very not that many, but you, there are two or three million pilgrims or four million pilgrims, depending on what statistics you believe, they will be engaged in reflecting, right? You see, so so atonement comes in when we develop realization that what we have done wrong. And we bring about change in ourselves with a resolve to change, right? And to enact those things, they will refresh that thing. Uh, so, it's, it's a, you know, atonement comes in when I made a mistake and I say, I'm sorry, I will not do it again, right? And I will make sure I don't do it again. That's a real atonement. Otherwise, we say, well, you know, I made a mistake and I keep on doing the same thing. I mean, the whole idea is the journey of life is that we want to become a better person as we as we progress, many times we make, we make, we are not bad people. We make mistakes, right? So that, you know, we realize we made mistakes and God forgive us for that. And I will not do this mistake because I'll be more careful now, right? So that's the thing. And I'm saying that, you know, again, I would say that, uh, and again, I'm not speaking from an Islamic point of view, but I'm just saying as an ordinary human being, I would say, like, you know, why would I actually want to sacrifice an animal for my atonement? When I made the mistake, the animal didn't make the mistake. Right? There would be something would be I'll have a hard time living with. You know, why would I would I slaughter a sheep? Right, the sheep didn't do any, anything wrong. I was the one who committed some sin. So the, the atonement should come for me, and the the consequence of that should be me, not somebody else. Whether it's a 
uh, human being or animal or whatever. It doesn't matter. That uh, this is just like my personal point of view. Well, curious though, because uh, I don't know if this is true in Shia Islam, but I know in Sunni Islam, if you're not able to make the Hajj yourself, you, you can have somebody do a Hajj on your behalf. Yeah. So is that not a similar substitution, right? Where somebody will go and they'll get credited for somebody else's deeds who's done it as your on your behalf. Yes, but they they that person willingly accepts it. Yes, right. They actually give consent. I'm doing this on your behalf. You can't force anybody. Right, 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 right. Right. So this different. And the other the other thing I was going to say that I think one of the uh, the the, the uh, in the Quran uh, is uh, there's 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 verse of the Quran here what, uh, when when God says you know and we ransom him with a great sacrifice. So now here in the Shia tradition, you know, we have this Karbala. Remember last time we we met was on Ashura. Yes. Right. So you know the 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 sacrifice on the battlefield of Karbala was the great sacrifice, right? Um, uh, Prophet Muhammad said, "Husaynu minni wa ana min al Hussein is from me and I'm from Hussein. There's a, there's a tradition. Hussein is from me and I'm from Hussein. So when we reflect, what is it? Well, it's clear that Hussein came from Prophet Muhammad. He was his grandson. But Islam was saved by Hussein on the day of Karbala, on the day of Ashura in Karbala, because he stood up for freedom and justice. Right? So the today, so it's a, the Muhammad's traditions live 14 centuries later because the brave soul of Hussein stood up against tyranny, oppression, the terrorists of its time. He said, look, I will not give in to you. And so some Shias would say that was a great sacrifice that that uh, Hussein made and his companions in the battlefield of Karbala. So there's obviously, there's a value of sacrifice and even substitution in the Islamic materials, right? But it's just how those things are different. Yeah, but the, the thing I would like to say is that, yes, you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of commonality, you know, these things here. The thing that I find appealing is that, you know, if, if somebody makes a sacrifice, they have to decide, I am sacrificing. Yes. Right? So you, if you see, Ibrahim says, he doesn't say, Ismail, I'm going to do this to you. He doesn't mislead him. He says, Ibrahim, this is what, uh, Ismail, this is really what I saw. Tell me what I should do. Ismail says, look, go ahead, do as you commanded. Right? Nobody forced Hussein to go and, you know, put up a battle uh, in Karbala. He said, he, and he asked, Hussein asked, go, everybody go, leave me alone. I will, I, you know, because people are going to come, there'll be a massacre tomorrow. You are let, ready, ready to go. So those people who stayed there, they chose to be there. Right? Yes. And so with the animal sacrifice, for sure, the animal does not have a choice in that. But the animal sacrifice is that that we are, God has created food for us to sustain. So remember the concept of halal and haram. Mm -hmm. What is the things? We cannot eat any animal. The animal that, that we, we can eat, first of all, has to be the permitted animal, you know, pork and other things, not allowed, swine, pig, whatever. But, you know, uh, but the thing is, it has to be a healthy animal. It has to be well taken care of animal. And then when we do that, we say, in, we take this life of this animal in the name of God, who is greater, to sustain ourselves. Right, because we need to sustain ourselves. Now, you know, I think the people would argue that maybe if you, if you have other means to sustain, don't eat animals. I mean, but that's a different topic we get into. But the thing is that it's not we eat slaughtered animal not as a sacrifice; it's to sustain ourselves, and we share that, right? That that food not 
only for me, but I share with other people too. So the, I, I just, somebody must have come up with the term haraminals before to, to, uh, to classify haram animals. Haraminals? Uh, I can't be the first uh, person. Uh, uh, well, it's a good one. Haraminals, uh, it's a good one. There, yeah. there are like, there's like a billion Muslims on the planet. There's two billion Muslims on the planet. There's no way I invented that term. Um, but, so I, I get what you're saying. For, for the Christians, right, we, we don't do animal sacrifice anymore, right? That's something in the past. So we, we believe that Jesus is the final sacrifice. And he, we believe like you believe Ishmael was, that he's like willing, right? That he's not somebody who's like, oh no, this is happening to me. We believe that like you believe Hussein's sacrifice, right? He's willingly taking on sin and suffering for the good of others. No, he's not just like a victim of collateral damage. So we value that too, right? That it's not simply punishing the innocent on behalf of the guilty, but somebody is willing to die on behalf of others. So you've kind of, you've almost got the ideas of like being a shaheed and Hajj substitute all kind of in one in the Christian framework. And obviously Muslims don't believe Jesus did that specifically. But I'm, yeah, we, I, yeah, we don't believe Jesus was crucified. Right, right, right. Yeah. But trying to, I'm trying to, um, trying to get, because I think for some for some people, obviously you don't believe it, but I'm I'm trying to figure out the parallel as much as possible so it can make sense to people, right? So yeah. people can yeah. look. No, at- I think I think I think the concepts are 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 similar. I mean, you know, in the sense that you know that you know that somebody gives up his life for improved situation of humanity, right? I mean, that's right. what it is. I mean, you see, look, I mean, uh, the thing I have a problem with uh, when I look at this, you know, somebody did this for me. Well, I mean, you know, they only did this so that I may become a, uh, so I can reflect on it and become a better person. So I can, it can only be meaningful to me. Jesus, let's say Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave his life not for my sins. Jesus gave up his life so that I reflect on the way he led his life. So if I was to emulate Jesus in his behavior, then I will get salvation. Salvation is not guaranteed. Salvation is conditional upon me being an upstanding human being, worshiping God. So, to um, so, so we you talk about Hajj, right? Is is something where you're born again if you if you believe in that, right? So the ultimate thing God wants from us is living trust. So unlike having something where you're kind of born again several times, right? We believe that you're born again once. It's a fundamental transformation of who you are. And then that carries into a transformation of your life, right? It's not that you just lean on this, hey, I got my ticket to heaven and I'll go do whatever I want. No, there's a there's a fundamental transformation. And if somebody says, oh yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross, I'm, you, I'll meet you at the strip club, then that is demonstration to me. It's like, hey, you say you believe this, but you're not acting like this is important. So I don't think you really believe this. I don't think this is really meaningful to you. So... Living faith and actions are, you know, important to both of us. Right, right. But yeah. it's just a difference on when we are reconciled with God, when we have atonement, and how that works. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think that, uh, uh, you know, uh, our actions determine. I mean, you know, in, in, if you look at uh, life, right? I mean, you know, before we come to Mother Earth, right? We are in our mother's wombs. Where we we develop abilities, 
right? Hands, eyes, ears, and whatever, right? When we come to this mother earth, which is the bigger womb, right? We, so we develop our physical abilities in our mother's womb. We develop our spiritual abilities in mother earth, right? And we're able to use our limbs to do good things, to serve people. And then we depart. Our soul continues. Our life doesn't end. Our physical existence ends. So what happens in the hereafter is really what we have paved our way from here, right? So we will be, we will, Allah said, We will see the consequences of every single good we have done and every single evil we have done, right? Uh, on the day of, day of uh, judgment. So I think, you know, the life is for us as a Muslim is that, you know, we, uh, Allah has given us abilities, God has given us abilities to be a source of good, to get closeness to Him. And as we journey through life, we develop that closeness, and then whatever closeness we develop, we'll, we will actually reap the benefits of that in the hereafter. And this life is a test, like it was a test for Ibrahim, not only one occasion, but I'm sure many occasions, so, and they passed. And we hope that we too will pass the test like Ibrahim did, or Hussein did, or Muhammad did. Well, that's, I think that's a great summary of the two views, right? That it's a test you believe you kind of have to pass and you have to, you know, to work towards that. You, em you emulate the example and we, we're going to be in a place where we say that the, it's more than just an example. There's, a, there's supposed to be a transformation that's rooted in something objective, which gives us salvation now, but that still should affect every element of our lives. So um, we're out of time for the show. Uh, thank you for listening to the Almeida Initiative podcast. We'll be back next week, or you can join us right now for the after show.